Welcome to the All Bodies Nutrition Podcast. I am your host, Delenia Agresta, and I am a weight-inclusive registered dietitian. I started this podcast to help people like you heal their relationship with their bodies and food. Each week, there is a new episode that talks about different topics surrounding eating disorder recovery, diet culture, weight inclusivity, and more. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome back to the All Bodies Nutrition Podcast. This is your host, Eleni, and as always, I'm so grateful to have you here with me today. Today, I have a special guest. Her name is Hannah Joy. Um, I'm going to leave, of course, all of her social media accounts in the show notes. I found her on TikTok. She's a really amazing plus-size creator, and I'm so excited to have her here. So, Hannah, thank you so much for coming on. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I know it's so exciting and we were chatting beforehand so we like have a lot of cool things to talk about um so I feel like it would be really fun if you could just kind of give a little bit of a background of like you um maybe like your experience with diet culture disordered eating eating disorders things like that and kind of like how you came to the place that you are now yeah so once again I'm Hannah Joy I am born and raised in the south south um never really left the south (laughs) and and I have and this is a fun fact that will make more sense as we talk but I have eight siblings um and we have a very big blended family um and growing up I was always very small bodied very skinny skinny white girl I mean I was just the epitome of the cis woman experience Mm. (laughs) and I guess Growing up, I had a weird relationship with food because through trauma, I ended up having a fear of vomiting, um, which I don't feel, I feel like is more common than people want to talk about because when I bring it up to people, people are like, oh my gosh, I have the same fear. And maybe I just gravitate towards people that do. (laughs) Um, And one thing that came along with it is I ended up like, having an eating disorder, not because I particularly wanted my body to look a certain way, but I was so scared to throw up, Mm. which, um, I think is kind of unique in the eating disorder world, not super unique, but a different Mm. take in the fact that I would avoid eating anything because I thought if food was on my stomach and this is like me trying to make my fear logical, Mm. I would throw up. And there were like certain times of days that I could eat like morning time. Perfect. Because rarely did I throw up ever in the morning. So Mm -hmm. I could eat a big breakfast, but could I eat dinner or even a snack before? No, because, you know, I got sick at night or whatever my brain has formed as logical. Um, And that was always interesting because it made me so skinny. Like Mm -hmm. I look back at photos. I think at one point I was like a hundred pounds and I was five, six. Um, and that's just a wild experience. I mean, I was just bones. Um, and then on the flip side, when I started kind of realizing the trauma that had happened when I was younger, I started like binging a ton. So I would still have the fear of throwing up, but like I would binge on those certain times of days that I could like eat and justify mm-hmm. it in my head. And I would eat anything that tasted good because I was so scared. So if it tasted bad, I wasn't going to put it in my mouth because that would just trigger me to feel like I was going to get sick. Mm. Um, so it ended up with the binging, I gained a ton of weight in college, like a lot more than I am currently. Um, 
which was a unique experience because then the shaming that comes with binging, the shame that came from my fear of throwing up because I knew it wasn't realistic, but like at the same time, I couldn't control Mm. how I was reacting to it. And then also having the weight on my body, you know, it was just a whole (laughs) package of like just shame, you know, Um, and so I I appreciate that. Um, I was going to dismiss it, but I'm trying to get better about that, not Mm. dismissing what people say and just kind of taking it. Um, But yeah, it was definitely, and I always got questioned, oh, you're gaining a lot of weight, you know, you should, you should diet or you should work out more. Mm -hmm. Or on the flip side, you're so skinny, you need to eat more, like you are just bones. But at the same time, another weird facet of it is I've never had body image issues. And I won't say never as in like, I've never looked in the mirror and disliked something about myself. That's not it. But I've never gotten to a point in my life where I looked in the mirror and was like, God, I hate myself. So it was very strange to have people constantly commenting on my body. And yet I was very, I wouldn't say I loved my body by any means, but I was very neutral to it. Whatever shape or size it was at the time, I never felt like it was a big deal. I just was kind of like, okay, this is where I'm at which I think in the long run ended up helping me mm. because starting as being body neutral and not, not shaming per se yourself because you actually think it, you were shaming yourself because other people were mm. saying the things that were negative or, you know, you're not eating enough. You're eating too much. You're not working out enough. You're working out too much or whatever the scenario is, which I think is also a different perspective to my plus size journey And the fact that I was always very body neutral, the shame that came from my body was other people telling me things. So, yeah, that's an that's an interesting thing. And so I always love to hear people's stories because everyone has a different experience. Like for me, like I've always been in a larger body for as long as I can remember. Um, I remember being like seven or eight years old and knowing that I was different and it wasn't because like I looked in the mirror and thought that I was different. It was because I was told by other people. So like I was encouraged to restrict my intake from from a young age. And like I was congratulated when I did. Mm-hmm. And then that's kind of how the whole thing began. And so if you have listened to this podcast, the listeners, they they kind of know my story. But I think it's interesting to hear that you went from like one extreme in in a sense to like the other so you went from like severe restriction um and a whole host of um side effects from that and then you know the binging aspect so you've kind of like been through it all so to speak full circle and I actually appreciate you asking me that because I don't speak about it often on my Instagram I think part of it is I don't really know how to make content with it um just because I don't want to invalidate either experience, either being the small, extra small as a five, six girl, all the Mm. way to now being a double XL to three X, you know, I don't want to invalidate either perspective, but at the same time, I don't speak on it much too, because I think I'm still like going through it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm still like, oh, wow, I did do that. I'm coming to terms with the fact that like, oh, okay, this was different. This wasn't normal. You know, it might have been my normal, but it wasn't normal, you know? And I think it's tough. I mean, I have patients that are across the size spectrum, but regardless of like what their their size is, a lot of their experiences are very similar. Um, The only Mm -hmm. 
main difference is that society demonizes individuals in larger size bodies and they are not really taken seriously in terms of disordered eating and eating disorders and body dysmorphia and all those types of things um so society is literally set up against those in larger bodies so that is something that someone in a smaller body can't relate to um you know like when you talk about like when you were in, in in a smaller version of yourself um you know, you're, you were probably able to go into any store and pick any size of anything and you could buy and wear whatever. Um, oh my goodness. That is one experience I absolutely miss. Mm. Um, I, I used to go shopping. I loved shopping. I cannot eat. I laugh at stores nowadays because Mm -hmm. I sit there and a lot of my friends, friends are plus size as well as me. You know, you gravitate towards people with similar experiences Mm. as you. And I still have, very small friends and they're so sweet they're so supportive of me yet at the same time they have no conception of what it's like for me to walk into urban outfitters with them and they buy something a little larger because it's oversized and it's cute and I'm laughing because I'm like that oversized pant wouldn't go up my thigh Mm. you know and the experience of being skinny growing up and living the cis woman white woman experience moving to being fat has also opened my eyes in a way I can guarantee would have never happened Yeah, just because and that's why I think I'm so vocal about being you know plus size fat in the experience it's not particularly just to like draw attention it's the fact that I would have never had this experience mm-hmm. had I not gotten fat and it needs to be heard because people have grown up like my sister for example she grew up plus size Mm. all the time went to the doctor's appointments heard the stories you know of eat better lose weight but not Mm. actually being helpful just more so shaming her and now me and her are the same size we share clothes the whole ordeal but at the same time I also have a skinny sister and she's very supportive of us but I always wonder I'm like how much of this are you actually comprehending Mm. that we're going through because I wouldn't have comprehended it I would have just heard my sister and seen it from an outside perspective you know what I'm saying yeah um I think that it's it's hard I mean you can empathize and you can like theoretically say like okay I hear you and understand it from that perspective but unless it's Mm -hmm. like you're in it within yourself and your own life experiences um it's I don't think you can replicate that understanding 100% and I think it goes with with all types of you know racism phobias Mm. things like that until you're in that experience um because like personally I'm queer I would like to say not I don't particularly have a certain label that fits me but I guess bi fits the best Mm. and it was interesting because growing up I realized I was shaming people and things like that out of fear of my own feelings kind of thing And once again, once I finally addressed it and realized that's who I was and was going through the experience, I've gotten so many nasty comments Mm. about, you know, being by that experience. And I kind of chuckle because I go, wow, I I was that person. And, you know, to be able to acknowledge what you did and try to change it and be vocal about it and things like that. But at the same time, I have to keep that perspective for other things that I will never experience. You know what I'm saying? When I'm thinking about other people's rights and other people's feelings, like there are a lot of things I will never experience in life. And I always need to keep that in the back of my head when addressing situations. 
you know for that reason because I'll never know yeah I think that's so important and you know I've spoken in like my dms with a lot of individuals who are you know scared about what's happening in our country right now um women's rights are being taken away you know trans rights are and and it's just it's it's heartbreaking and it's like I don't know I mean I know the way that I think and the 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 view of the world that I have it's not the same Mm -hmm. as everyone else so like for me like I feel like it's just as normal to have red hair as it is for someone to be bi or trans agreed like it doesn't agreed it's a normal aspect exactly and I know that there are people who grew up where it was not normalized you know, it was pe- people had to hide it and had to protect themselves yeah. for their lives. And it's still something that, you know, people die every day because of this, because of hate and ignorance and stupidity. And um, I think, you know, using your platform in whatever capacity you feel comfortable to do so, I think is so important mm-hmm. and like taking up the space. Whereas like, you know, of course, there's a time and a place for us to sit back and listen to other people's experiences, right? Yeah. Those of, of which we would not be able to have. Um, of course. But it's also important for you to recognize like your experience. And like, something that I've really loved is that over the years, I have seen more individuals in larger size bodies taking up space, whereas maybe five years ago, there wasn't anyone really doing that. Agreed. 100%. I would say too, for an example of that is my, my my own Instagram feed. I have now curated it to where the only skinny people I'm really seeing are people that have an excellent opinion, a voice, mm-hmm. like they're bringing more to the table than just their body. Like I, I don't really follow the supermodels. I don't follow, you know, my feed is curated of if I'm follow, if you're plus size, I'm following you. There's mm-hmm. no questions. Like, if I see you, absolutely, I'm here. You know what I'm saying? Where I feel like three years ago, even, I mm-hmm. would not have been the same. Because I was still like, okay, based off of what everyone else is saying, I should be smaller. Mm-hmm. I should be skinnier. I wasn't. And I didn't particularly look in the mirror and hate it. But I also knew back in the back of my head, people-pleasing, that I should be, you know? Yeah. I'll never forget, I had an ex-boyfriend who, <laughs> he was extremely fat phobic but didn't realize it and what was interesting about his situation was he was fat before we were dating Hmm. super plus size um and I would have found him attractive in either stage that he was at but I will never forget one time I was like hey it was something along these lines of like do you like my body blah 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 and I was feeling very insecure obviously in this moment so I kind of set him up for this answer because I think I knew deep down inside this Mm -hmm. is what he was gonna say but he was like I think I'd like it better if you lost some weight because I had gained a substantial amount of weight in the relationship. A lot of it was because it was stressful. (laughs) We don't need to Mm -hmm. dive into all that, but I'll never forget like that experience. And that was one of the first times where I was like directly shamed, I guess, for having my body, even though I really wasn't like I was upset I wasn't fitting in the clothes, but like I was upset because I'd have to go buy more, not because Mm. I was like, oh, I wish I was skinnier for me. It was like I wanted to be skinnier for others. And I think when I started translating that back to, you know what, you need to be whatever size you want to be for yourself, not for other people. It kind of changed my whole perspective Mm. on everything and everyone. Yeah. And I think there's such 
a large amount of internalized weight bias or fat phobia because there's a lot of people who like claim to be allies, right? Or or they're like, well, I used to be fat growing up, so I know what it's like. And I was like, if you were a chunky 12-year-old, that's not the same thing as being, you know, in a larger body in your adult life throughout your whole entire span. Like yeah. you're supposed to be like, like biologically when you're at that age, your body's preparing for you to grow, right? Like think about like girls, mm-hmm. like we start growing 12, 13, 14. That's like kind of when we have our spurt and guys is like a little bit later. Um, like yeah. your body's preparing to store energy so that you can grow. And that's yes, why kids 100%. gain more weight during that time and some gain more than others. And so like if you were like, quote unquote, like bullied in school during that time, like, yes, of course, that's terrible. And like, that's something that you shouldn't have gone through. But like, it's not the same thing yeah. as like, mm-hmm. you know, not really fitting in a seat on an airplane. Or, you know, um going to a concert and and the chairs being so small where like even an average sized person could barely fit so it's like it's just like you don't really understand and so like when you have that um I guess like perception and you're like no like I'm not fat phobic or no like I don't judge people based on their size it's like people don't realize there's so many different like little things that you could say like oh like oh a celebrity lost weight or whatever and you know Adele wow she looks so great Adele was always fucking gorgeous regardless of oh, what 100%. Size she was. um and whatever means healthy or not that has have caused her body to change and shift is up yeah. to her and has nothing to do with who she is as a person so it's like why even say that in the first place you know what I mean oh 100% um, and it's interesting that you bring up the being fat as a child because I promise it's the last thing I'm going to say about him because no, no, he's really not fine. that important in my life anymore. But it, it, looking back, I realized I was struggling mm. with my perception of others. And it was interesting how normalized his eating disorder was. Like, I don't even know if he would consider it an eating disorder at the time just because, you know, we're Most just trying to be don't. skinny. But like, yeah. he would eat one meal a day because that's what would keep him skinny not because he was like oh I should like work out or whatever other means that could be considered healthier to maintain a certain weight status but that always stuck with me because I was like you aren't you are fat phobic in the fact that like you may not think you are but you've commented on my body size you don't eat Mm. properly or regularly because your main goal is to be skinny not healthy skinny yeah and that's always something that stuck with me because I was like wow I can't imagine hating myself so much to like motivate me to stay skinny I've never been a negative um what's it called negative reinforcement type of gal Mm. literally negative reinforcement will make me walk out the door quicker than anything else like if someone (laughs) I went to a CrossFit one time and the guy was yelling at me. And I get oh, it, God. it motivates some people, but he was just aggressively met, like yelling at me. And I'll never forget, I literally stood up and walked out the class. I was like, absolutely not. You do not yell at me. That is not what's going to get me to do this. It's and so I left. Stupid. And, it's, yeah. and it's just because I feel like a lot of people think this negative reinforcement is going to keep them skinny. Like if I hate myself enough, this will keep me skinny. And what stinks is it's actually the opposite you know like your weight's going to fluctuate a lot more for you example and I think this goes for a lot of people hormones are going to fluctuate a lot more Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. because you're not eating normally, you're not eating regularly. And it's like, if we stopped looking at our bodies as one shape, and more so for the fact that they keep us alive, game changer, you know? It is. And like, you can move your body as a person in a larger size body, you can eat nourishing meals consistently throughout the day. And like, you may still just end up in a fat body. And that's okay, too. Exactly. Oh, it's gorgeous. You know what I'm saying? Like the fact that your body keeps you alive, that's its worth. It is not the size of your Mm-mm. body, you know? Um, And I think that's such a huge misconception that I actually still feel like sometimes I struggle with my own family is like, because they've always been skinny, most of them. It's been this kind of reiterating like, no, I'm actually way healthier now than I've ever been. You just don't realize that because you're equating me being fat to not being healthy. Like I'm a daily walker. That is my thing. I will go for 30 minutes to an hour, walk Mm. outside. um, And I absolutely love it. And doing that has helped me, you know, complete 5Ks. I love doing that now, which is very white of me, Mm -hmm. but I love doing the 5Ks now. And just, and I just walk them. I don't, you know, run. Maybe I'll run to the end because that's kind of fun and exhilarating. Um, But at the same time, like me maintaining the eating three meals a day, which I'm very cautious about or conscious about doing Mm -hmm. um and having snacks in between because I know I need to keep food on me to keep my energy up because I don't drink coffee so Mm. if I'm tired the only energy source I'm getting is from (laughs) but it's little things like that where I feel like I can tell my own energy is so much better than it used to be my mental health is so much better than it used to be but because there's no physical signs of it people just assume I'm a fat, lazy chum, you know, mm. not doing anything, which has always made me chuckle. Cause I'm like, all right, you do you, babe. I'm gonna do yeah. me. <laughs> and it's, it's actually interesting because like major, from my experience, a lot of people in smaller size bodies that just exist in that type of body. Um, even if they don't engage in health improving behaviors, they're just perceived as healthy um and so like years ago before I started my practice I used to um work in outpatient physicians offices so I would see like patients like 10 20 patients in a day like it was like a rotating like a hamster wheel um and so like I would see just everyone from like all shapes and sizes but like I would see their diagnoses like their lab work first before Mm -hmm. they came into me so I had no idea what they looked like didn't know their weight didn't know anything I just had like their name and then what they were you know like what medications they were on I would see people of all shapes and sizes with hypertension elevated lipid levels like you know high cholesterol elevated hemoglobin a1c which measures how well your body manages your blood sugars and it wasn't necessarily related to it wasn't related to their weight so like if someone came to me in a smaller size body with an elevated hemoglobin a1c would I tell them to lose weight? Right? No. Already, no, there's actually like medical nutrition therapy recommendations that I can make that have nothing to do with their weight. Of course. So like that's kind that's of how I real felt. medical help. <laughs> exactly. So that's kind of how I fell into um, the health at every size mindset before it was a thing that I even knew of. Cause I was like, well, I'm going to recommend the okay. same thing to each of those pers- people. And they'll be like, oh, should I get on the scale? I was like, no, I don't care what the scale is. We're like, really? I was like, what does it have to do? I was like, I want to see your labs in three months and let's see like if these behaviors 
are helping your lab values like you know for people who didn't want to go on medication or people who wanted to try to lower their medication things like that and so there are like health improving behaviors that we can engage in but it affects of people course. all shapes and sizes it's not just individuals in larger size bodies oh 100% and i really like how you seem to take not particularly right off the bat a holistic approach but it seems like you take what they want to do and you make make a healthcare plan for that, where my experience with that is rarely that, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? For example, like gynecologists, mm -hmm. gosh, <laughs> don't even get me started because it's like almost triggering, but yeah. the amount of times where like my healthcare plan was given to me instead of being like, well, you know, I, I can do this. I can't do that. Or I want to be on birth control. I don't want to be on birth control or, um, even like toxic sterilization, because I have no intention of ever having kids. And I'm really happy with that, you know, mm -hmm. which is funny because I work with kids, but that's besides the point. <laughs> um, but like even there, I'm told, you know, well, what this is do. your healthcare plan. And I really like that your perspective is like, okay, you want to have meds? Cool. Let's start there. Or you don't want to. Okay, here. And I like how you call them behaviors too. Like they're not regimens. They're not diets. They're not, they're mm -hmm. just behaviors, like things that we can do to improve. And I just like your terminology. That all was like priceless to me. Oh, thank you. Um, and I, I just have always found that these types of recommendations. So the way that like my practice runs now is like I deal mostly with individuals with disordered eating or eating disorders. And that's the first thing that we address. Everything yeah. else, I don't care what it is we don't care about we need to like help you heal your relationship with food and your body and check in your mental health and all that stuff like that and then once we get to a place where we can employ like gentle nutrition practices whether it's like walking or drinking water or having balance in our meals <laughs> or trying to make them more balanced things like that those things like yeah. come from like what my patient wants to do like, what do you think is going to sound yeah. good next? What do you feel like you want to work on this week? And it lets, you know, as it should be, it should be patient led. Like it always should be. And like, unfortunately, our medical system, our healthcare system, and even the dietetic spectrum, most individuals are like telling you like, okay, like people would come to me and tell me like, okay, so tell me what I should do. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm not you. <laughs> you have to tell me how yeah. you feel. You know, and so I have my clients slash patients. I, I call them clients. They're still patients. I don't know. People use different terms. Um, I have them check in with themselves each and every day, multiple times throughout the day about how they're feeling. How does this meal make yeah. you feel? How long did it keep you full? Was it satisfying? Was it a fun food? Like whatever it, it may have Ooh. been. Like just people becoming more in tune with like how they actually feel. Because if you've gone your whole life whether it's dieting, whether it's disordered eating or eating disorders, like it has taken the ability of your body to communicate with yourself, right? Because you're relying on external yeah. things. So like if you're like calculating macros or on my fitness pal or doing stupid weight watchers, like all those things, like you're relying on an <laughs> external source to tell you what to do, right? Oh, I'm going to go to of this. Of course, you're not listening. Coach. Yeah, I'm going to go to this fitness coach. They're telling me I should have this many macros, this much protein, blah, blah, blah. But like, what do you really need? What actually feels good for you? What feels good for you may not feel good for me. Or some days I need different things. And like when you're not in tune with what your body's telling you, um, 
it becomes very hard to sort through the noise and get back to that um that center you know within yourself and like just an example we were talking about how I just recently had labs everything was beautiful except I felt like something was off and I mean like something's always off okay. with me I have generalized anxiety <laughs> disorder it's just my life um of course out when it wants to um <laughs> but like I was like okay like I upped my protein because I lift really heavy weights I'm staying hydrated I know I'm eating enough like but I just feel like something's off so I had them check my like iron vitamin b12 and d my my d mm-hmm. turned out to be low and my iron was extremely low so now I'm actually anemic so it's like okay I knew something was wrong with me but I probably wouldn't have been able to feel it if I didn't know how to like listen to myself if that makes sense oh my gosh 100% I mean I honestly think of like sometimes when we get di- so disconnected with our relationship with food it's almost another form of people pleasing yep. and like the way I think of it because no longer am I listening to what I need and what my body is literally speaking mm-hmm. you know I'm listening to what my app is saying or what my program saying or my fitness instructor or what I think I should be feeling because yeah. you know so and so on Instagram said oh yes. I should be feeling this way you know what I'm saying and it's interesting because I feel like we constantly are work, like trying to get other people's approvals that it just shows up in so many different aspects of our lives. And the more yeah. we sit and think about it, the more we're like, oh shit. Yeah. I did it again. You know, this was never me. Um, and that's been a huge deconstruction as well, going with having a bigger body. I, you know, when I was skinny, I never felt like me. And now that I have a bigger body, I feel more like me. I feel more in tuned like you were saying with my body I feel like I listen I definitely listen a lot more which has been crazy mm-hmm. on a different spectrum resting I did not realize I would purposely burn myself out mm-hmm. over and over and over again for other people's approval because if you're not busy what are you doing you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying that type of burnout culture oh, we live in and this past year the amount of times I have like just sat on my couch for like two hours because that's all I could do, you know? And what's funny too, is I wasn't watching TV. I was reading because like, that's all my body could do in that moment. Cause maybe my mental energy was still there, mm. but I was exhausted and listening to my body more now has made me realize how often I would just push it way past what it should have been doing in the first place just to approve someone or appease someone else, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's a huge portion of like once again with restrictive eating dieting exercising when you don't need to maybe that day you cannot move your body's tired why are we going to the gym every single time and pushing ourselves I'm not saying don't go to the gym just because you're a little tired but like if you're burnt out going to the gym isn't gonna help that you're just gonna be depleted you know so yeah. yeah no it's so true and in all aspects right whether it's like listening to your body to rest you know, about eating, movement, whatever it may be. For for many of us, we have never been in a place where we were able to actually understand how we feel, you know? So even mm-hmm. for you, like, yeah. you know, you talk about like you were super thin, you were having severe like eating disorder behaviors, like you were still not listening to your body at that point. Nope. So, you know, that's and not I what always your body wonder who wanted. taught me that. And, and a lot of the thoughts that people have 
towards food, towards health, towards all these things, a lot of them are so like ingrained deep. Like think of them like an old tree with like lots of roots in there and you're trying to like pull up each mm-hmm. one. And then just when you think you're done, it's it's a constant process. So like I always remind my patients that recovery is not linear. Like there's always going to be a little mm-hmm. something that you have to, you know, address. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like, like I just took a yoga class and I haven't taken a class in person. And I know it's been like three years since the beginning of the pandemic, but I feel like it was like five minutes ago. So I haven't taken a class in person. <laughs> um, hashtag pandemic anxiety. But I, I went. It was great. <laughs> For real. And, like, you know, the instructor was like, OK, so like, where do you want? I was like, I, and I was so excited that most of the studio had no mirrors. Because I find that a lot of times when I'm in the gym, there's like mirrors everywhere and I end up body checking. So it's like I'm aware of what my body looks like. And generally, like, I'm not such a huge fan, but like, I'm cool with it. But like, yeah, yeah, it attracts me from like my movement, if that makes Mm. sense. So a lot of times if I'm in front of a mirror and I'm doing a certain exercise, I keep my eyes closed and I just feel it if that makes sense. So okay. I was so excited that I could be in the back and there was no mirrors anywhere because I feel like it like distracts me if that makes sense. And so it's yeah, something totally. that I've noticed for myself, like even though I don't actively engage in previously like disordered behaviors, those thoughts still could still be in there if that makes sense. So like 100 so not liking my body or being neutral towards it is one thing, but it doesn't impact my actions, if that makes sense. Yes. You know and what, I mean? what I like, too, about you saying, like, the deeply rooted is, like, a lot of times when we have, like, I call them thought habits, mm-hmm. like, when we have a certain thought reaction to a certain situation, it can take years to get past that immediate reaction. Granted, when you don't act on it that's huge you know but that thought can still be there for such a long time and like for me it was interesting you said you know um it's not linear um because I struggle with that concept and I've like been recently in the last like month or two been like why am I struggling with the fact that my progress is not linear like why am I not okay with the dips and the ups and downs And it really came from an anxiety-ridden perfectionist mindset of being like another way to shame myself because I was like, well, Hannah, you've been projecting on social media, you know, you're healing and how you had a couple Mm -hmm. bad days. Why is it still happening? You're telling people, this is how I deal with my bad day, but yet my bad day still isn't changing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I've had to take a step back and even remind people on social media as a reminder to myself, like, okay, progress is not linear. It is okay for me to be upset right now. It is okay for the fact that, you know, maybe that thought habit came back and I acted on it, you know, or maybe I had a very negative self-talk mindset, you know, whatever the situation is, because I'm very negative towards myself and I I work really hard not to be, but some days I'm tired. Some days I'm weak. Sometimes Mm. things happen, you know, and it doesn't mean that I didn't make progress though. And that's a huge thing I have to remember because for me, if I do that, it makes me feel like I'm starting right back at zero when in reality, I either just took a dip or my progress is like a little um, up and down or whatever, you know, and I think that's a huge reminder. And I kind of liked how you mentioned that. That's what kind of brought me on this thought process. (laughs) 
I think it's so true. And I think it's such a misconception, right? So like when I see um, individuals on social media promoting like eating disorder recovery or uh, intuitive eating or whatever it may be, and they say things like, oh, like I stopped binging and I can help you or I healed from my ED and I can help you. It's like, that's, that's not true because it's never like, okay, like let's say if you engage in a certain behavior and you no longer engage from that. Okay. Lovely. But like you, like you said, like the thoughts that are still there, don't just magically go away. Like you can Mm -mm. uh, learn how to sit with them and feel uncomfortable and acknowledge that they're there. Um, And you can also, um, you know, they may not be as loud as they were originally, but I hate when people Mm -hmm. say like, oh, you know, I'm 100% recovered or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Because it's like also like that's your experience. And just like in all other aspects of health and fitness and whatever, you cannot use your own personal experience and say like, oh, well, because I did this, I can help you. Like it's, it's just oh, 100 it's fair to the, to the client or the patient. Like, and that's why, unfortunately, like as a registered dietitian, like there's no, like anyone could call themselves a nutritionist. So there's like such a misconception of the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian. As a registered dietitian, mm-hmm. I have like two bachelor's degrees, a master's degree, and I did a clinical dietetic internship. So I did a lot of freaking school. Um, And and it just shows how many layers of like what goes into what I do um, comes from. So I'm not saying like there's no one that there there could never be someone out there who isn't a dietitian or um, a psychiatrist or a psychologist that that couldn't Mm -hmm. help you. I'm just saying like majority of these individuals and and it has become so easy on social media for people to go viral. So like there's like a a very well-known trainer who talks about like going like quote unquote all in and she shows her Mm -hmm. quote unquote recovery. And then she shows actual pictures of herself at her skinniest, then at a larger weight and then at like a somewhat less weight. And she shows this is my Mm -hmm. recovery. So then people in their head are like, oh, well, okay, in my recovery, I'll gain weight and then I'll lose weight again. And it's like, maybe, but you shouldn't be using that as a way to get clients or people to buy your plan. It's so egregious, in my opinion, like whatever my journey. capitalistic. For sure. And so unfortunately, there's a lot of unqualified people out there giving advice and they just, you know, so many different layers go into it. So when I have someone who is within an active eating disorder, right, they may not even recognize that it's an active eating disorder. Like you talked about like your Mm -hmm. ex-boyfriend, how he didn't recognize it, but like, oh yeah, they're, they're not equipped to work with physicians, to look at lab values. There's certain things that you have to monitor because it's literally life threatening. And even if you're oh, in a larger yes. size body, you can still end up in the hospital and very sick if your of electrolytes course. are imbalanced or there's so many different things. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just important that if, you know, someone is listening to this podcast and, and they themselves feel like they're struggling, just be very careful with who you're getting your information from. And unfortunately, yes. the individuals who tend to go viral in the recovery community and the body positive community mm-hmm. all this stuff they're thin white people they're not mm-hmm. people in different sized bodies or different sized um ethnicities so it's just like very yep. um annoying um oh 100 you know it's like you know it's kind of like that 
thing where you I'm sure you've seen it on like Instagram where they talk about like like Kendall Jenner sitting there eating like a burger and then they're like oh well if if it was a fat person eating a burger people would be up in arms so like what's the difference between one person and the next eating it nothing agreed so it's unfortunate but like we still have such a long way to go but I think it's just so great that we are able to have these conversations and people are able to like share their experiences and I think people just have to keep like taking up space yes and that is something I like proudly and loudly preach on is I'm constantly like do not squeeze yourself, especially as women. We're told, be quiet, yeah. submissive, don't speak, don't talk, blah, blah, blah. I, You can ask anyone. Miss, I have certain family members that do not like me because I do not fit that at all. And I try to be how I preach. And that is something I really try to be cautious of. I'm not saying I'm never hypocritical or never mm. not 100%, but I, I will be loud. Something is not you know comfortable to me. I will tell you. And I think that's huge and it's almost helped heal my inner child because I used to squeeze myself so hard, mm. especially after. So when I was nine, my mother passed away. And a big thing of being the oldest child in that situation is everyone looked to me. And of course, at first it was addictive that like, oh, I, I, that validation, like, yes, I've done it. And it almost one made me not have to think about the trauma of that. And then on top of it, it was like a drug. I loved it. And it meant being quiet. It meant being an overachiever, but not too overachieving. It meant staying in my lane, practicing being a good wife to later be a good mother. Hmm. And I think a huge part of that, I guess, is looking back at it. I should have spoke up. I should have said, I'm uncomfortable. I should have said, I don't like this. Instead, I retreated back and I just went through the uncomfortableness. And I think that's part of the reason I ended up manifesting a fear of vomiting. I think that's part of the reason I ended up binging when I was older because then my dad did get married and then there was a woman to take that spot of being the motherly input or whatever. So then now I'm flipping to the binging because screw all this, screw everyone. I'm going to do whatever I want, but not knowing who I am, not knowing when I'm uncomfortable, just doing things just to feel numb, I guess, because I didn't want to feel uncomfortable, but I didn't know how to feel good either. And I think that's a another whole spectrum of, I'm going to be honest, I completely forgot where we started with this. That made me think of all this, but taking yes, up space. that's my thought. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. So taking up space, I think that's what's really turned me back around as an adult. Like if I'm uh. uncomfortable, I will tell you. If I don't want to sit on that bar stool because my thighs are going to hang over the edge, I'm going to tell you, go get me a table. I don't want to sit at a table by myself, but if you're not going to provide a chair that can hold me up, I'm not going to try to squeeze myself into it, you know, because that's not going to be comfortable. I'm going to go sit at a table, you know, little things like that, where I feel like, or for another example, when there's crowds of people as a skinny person, it should be so easy to slip in and out, you know, Mm -hmm. do the whole thing. Now as a bigger person, I'm, excuse me, I'm not going to lie. If it's a man, I'll elbow him. I don't even care anymore. (laughs) Women, I'm still very polite. If it's a man, I will absolutely like, excuse me, you know, kind of pushing my way through because at the end of the day, just because I'm bigger doesn't mean I'm not allowed to move through the crowd, you know, things like that. It's just the little things that you think about when 
taking up that space. And one other thing I wanted to say back to the point of like people becoming viral and speaking Mm. from a platform, but they're not particularly uh, educated or, you know, trained in what they're speaking of. I try to make it very clear on my own platform that this is my experience. Mm. This is what I'm going through. Because like I had mentioned, I think earlier, I have always been very body neutral. I've never been super body conscious. It's not saying there haven't been times in the mirror where I was like, oh, I'd love for that stretch mark not to be there. Or, Mm. oh, you know, my arms are looking a little flabby right now. But at the same time, it's never affected my day afterwards. It's just Mm. been like, a, oh, it's there. We're moving on. However, I can't speak about it like that and think it's everyone's experience because it's not. A lot of people struggle with hating themselves, not wanting to look in the Mm. mirror, not wanting to, you know, go outside because they thought their outfit looked terrible, you know? Um, And I think that's one way in which as my platform, I sit there and I'm like, look, this is my experience. This is how I'm dealing with my healing journey. If you'd like to comment, let me know of some solutions. Cool. This is just putting stuff out there that's working for me. It doesn't mean it works for everyone. And I think that's so important to kind of put that disclaimer on social media because anybody has access to social media, you know, and with intuitive eating being, it's very good. Don't get me wrong, but it's such a fad thing right now. Like I see so many slandered like this is intuitive eating and then here are the rules this is intuitive eating this is how you do it but it's nothing in the way that intuitive eating should be it's just a new yeah. way for diet culture to kind of suck it back in and be like yeah. well this is intuitive eating and it's very frustrating to see that misinformation yeah but we can't control it because everyone has access to social media exactly. i know that was a very long rant but <laughs> no for sure i appreciate that and i think it's so true and part of like you know for me it's it's like it's like a bright red light pops up in in my purview when I when I sense this diet culture in disguise just because I'm so trained to like pick these things out just like it's very easy yeah. to determine in my mind like if someone has a poor relationship with food or movement or their body it's just like it's just how my brain works and of course. There is in the intuitive eating space, um, people who constantly talk about, you know, not feeling guilty about eating a food and then it being like a fun size M&M, right? That's still a controlled thing. Yeah. Talk about, well, like you can have the chips, but also like make sure it's balanced and guilt free. But it's like, no, the idea is like, if you only want to eat chips, that's fine. If that's what your body exactly. is telling you. And so it's like a caveat. Like on one hand, it's not diety, right? We're not looking at calories. Yep. But then on the other mm-hmm. hand, there's still some level of like, if you're talking about balance, like of course, like balance is important. I want everyone to have a balanced meal that makes them feel good. But whatever that balance is, is going to depend on you. You know what I mean? Yep. Well, it's interesting you bring that up. So I was listening to one of your episodes recently. It was with... um Oh, it starts with a J, Hadid. Um, I think it's the last name. Jojo Hadid, yeah. <laughs> Hadid, my bad. I'm so sorry I murdered that. Um, but you guys talked about, and it brought such a fascinating point of view, how people will crap on fast food. Yeah. And you took it a step further and was like, if it's nourishing your body, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leave your body, you know? Yeah. But if that's what you can get your hands on, if that's what you can eat, then you need to be eating. It's not bad. And I think it kind of goes along with my, like, I don't look as food as good or bad. It's mm. just food. 
some of it provides more energy some of it tastes a little better but you know it's just food at the end of the day and I really like that perspective because if that same influencer you know the imaginary influencer we put in this position that said oh like have that slice of cake but also be 80% healthy if we said well we're going to eat some Taco Bell absolutely not you know, in which that's mm. not intuitive eating. That's just you no longer doing maybe the hard work of counting the calories, counting the macros, you know, now you're just kind of guessing. And it's almost a little more dangerous because it's like, they're trying to have you guess like, oh, I think this is healthier. I think this will balance out the slice of cake I had. I mm. think, you know, instead of actual, okay, these are maybe healthier foods, but they're also fuel energy foods. And, you know, if you want the quesadilla, eat the damn quesadilla like mm-hmm. it's not you know gonna affect your body in the manner that maybe this influencer whose mm-hmm. only experience is her own in the gym training you you know and that's very disheartening it is seeing that and, information and it was that kind of approach is something that like I've always had in terms of like how I assist my clients because mm-hmm. we also have to recognize that not everyone has the same access to food right so like I live yes. in New York. Oh yes. <laughs> I live in in Long Island, which is like a suburb, and I live in a town that's like like the part that I live in is like uh I guess like a middle class, upper middle class, I don't know. But like mm-hmm. you know, I have a, a couple of different grocery stores I could go to and I could buy fresh fruit I could buy frozen vegetables you know like a lot of people demonize mm-hmm. like the canned and the frozen no they're all the same and they're all great and whatever you have access to is what you should have um of course and I think you know I'm coming from a place of extreme privilege right so like you know everyone's talking about how how funny it is that eggs are so expensive like I personally don't think that it's funny because there's people who literally like have to make the decision between paying for gas to drive their kids to school or feeding their kids eggs or like other things like for and I I spoke about this on a podcast previously I don't know if it's live yet I don't remember but like I was like it didn't even occur to me that that eggs were more expensive like, cause I don't have to look at the price and say like, oh, well, I only have $35. And so that is a a place of extreme privilege to not have to be worried about that. But there are people who struggle with food insecurity, eating disorders, disordered eating, all of these things, and they don't have access to affordable food. And so like, if you are working two jobs and you need to nourish yourself and the only thing on the way home when you're taking the bus is Taco Bell, then that's what you should have. And it's fine. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, your body is going to break it down into the same stuff as if it were salmon, rice, and broccoli. Now, of course, there's different yep. nutrient contents. And that's why, of course, over the years, I stopped referring to food as healthy because mm-hmm. I don't know, like, I don't want to place any sort of morality. So even if you're, we're not using good or bad, right, which is a great first step to use even using the term healthy and balanced, mm. um, yeah, it still has some level of superiority, right? So if what you need to do Very true. is go to Wendy's and get yourself a chicken sandwich with fries, um, that's fine. And yeah. it's like the world doesn't end. And something that I have mm-hmm. um, that I work on with my clients is helping them normalize eating letting them eat fast food so it's not necessarily that they eat it every single day but it helps them recognize like hey does this even make me feel good or is this a food that I used to binge 
Mm, and sometimes when you get to it, you're like, actually, like, it was just the, like, mystique of it, right? Because it's not a healthy food. Mm -hmm. It's a bad food. So, okay, I was drunk the other night. And after the bars, we went out and we got (laughs) this food, right? Like, that's the thought process, right? Like, oh, ordering the McDonald's at 2am. No, like, if you want a damn fish fillet, go get a damn fish fillet. Like, of course, obviously, (laughs) you know, so I think it's just so important to kind of, it's okay. Um, it's just important to like, talk about it in this way and normalize it and get people to get to normalize it. So like, for me personally, like I've learned with my body, like certain things, fried things, like very fried things don't make me feel good. Like I feel physically ill, but I can eat a whole bunch of cheese that has more fat content, right? It could be organic mozzarella cheese from Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, right? And it has more fat than let's say the French fries, but like one doesn't affect me the same way as the other, but my, my motivation behind one choice over the other is because I know what feels good for me. Now for you, it may be completely different. Maybe the mozzarella cheese doesn't make you feel good. Maybe the fries make you feel better. So that's what you should have. You know what I mean? So it's funny. I have two small tangents. I want to go off on what you said. Um, One of them, just so I can remember is the eating the foods that feel good. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, oh goodness, I already forgot it. Okay. okay. I'll just talk about the other one yeah, yeah, yeah. and we'll see if it pops back up. Um, but so, oh wait, the food privilege. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So someone, me personally, I can speak on this. I am someone who has a very small budget. I work two part-time jobs. I'm in school. I don't, I don't make any money. I just did my taxes. I looked at it. I am so under the poverty line in America. It's not even funny. And something I talk about with my parents, because my parents are very, they didn't always used to be this way, but they're very nutrition based now. Mm. Very, I wouldn't say they're always healthy, but a majority of the time they're, it's good food. It's fueling food. Mm. Um, Cause now that you mentioned it, I don't like using the word healthy, but I've always tried to figure out another word. But no, it's funny that you mentioned it just because I was like, God, I don't like that word. And it's funny that you don't really use it. And I'm like, that's why I don't like it because it still mm-hmm. is a synonym of good and bad, you Some know, level. but anyways, yeah. exactly. Um, my parents are gluten-free. They do not consume any gluten. Um, and most of it is because of the energy levels that came from hmm. not eating it. Like they have so much more energy now they're not particularly allergic to it but their energy is just insanely different so they're all gluten-free I try to be gluten-free because I I don't particularly like how I feel because I went through the process of like okay do I like it do I not Mm. um kind of thing and then I'm also almost completely dairy-free I cannot consume any type of dairy without feeling terrible unless unless I have like those lactose pills, but even then I still don't feel great. Mm. And one thing that we talk about a lot is we're like, it is so expensive and such a privilege to eat food. Like you were speaking mm. about the eggs. I, I remembered a distinct memory of me a couple weeks ago. I was buying eggs um, and I looked at it and it was $3 more than it was a week ago. I looked at it and I was like, crap, this is like a basic for me because eggs are normally cheaper and they're a source of protein and I can, you know, eat two a day and it, and it lasts me a week, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's so frustrating from a, I also study political science. So it's very Mm -hmm. frustrating from a humanitarian point of view that we allow only crappy foods 
to be produced. Like to get something that is dairy free and gluten free is almost unheard of in the grocery store. It either is gluten free or it is either dairy free. And what stinks about that is that means I'm having to cook a lot of food from scratch. But if I'm working two part time jobs, if I'm in school, if I'm still trying to do my social media content, Mm I don't have that type of time in my day, you know, and then that also limits the food I'm getting from fast foods. So even the cheaper pre-made options, I can't go to McDonald's and get anything except for fries. Hmm. And it was funny that you brought up the mozzarella, how you can eat mozzarella all day. I would literally be on the toilet within two minutes. Yeah. Like it's not even funny. And it's so frustrating. I actually get a little heated about this type of thing because it's so frustrating to expect people to be able to properly like have body fuel be able to eat Mm -hmm. and have food costs as much as it does and granted I know it does kind of cost cheaper due to like international like we get our veggies and fruits from other places but at the same time it's ridiculously expensive it is you know and it's very frustrating um so that was just to piggyback off the food privilege it's not saying I've always been this way when I grew up My parents always had food on the table. I'm not saying like I've always not been privileged or like I have had this privilege, but now being on my own for the last four or five years, buying food is a struggle. Like it is not something I easily go, oh, you know what I'm feeling today? I'm going to get a Chipotle bowl. I go, no, how much is in your bank account? Is that worth the sacrifice of not having to cook at home? Blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? And it's very frustrating to have to deal with that. And it plays a role in the stress in your life, the the concern, the the amount of energy that you spend towards these decisions. And all of that is just not um, necessarily something that a lot of people in this space kind of acknowledge. Um, and it's something that should be spoken about more. And that's why, like, I don't like I saw a few weeks ago on TikTok there was this woman who was showing how she like had X amount of dollars that she could spend for her family to feed her family for like the week. And she went to like Dollar Tree or Dollar General and she showed like the foods that she got. And there was some really disgusting humans in her comments making really disgusting statements. And from from a dietetics nutrition perspective, like she did a phenomenal job with the money that she had oh, I and the choices it. that she made. And I was like, it's just so disgusting that people just are, you know, they, they don't under, they, people don't really understand the, the issue of access and affordability. And, you know, with inflation, it just, it's really making it more difficult for people to even nourish themselves in the way that they want to. Cause like people mm-hmm. should be, the basic right of a human should be like oh I should be able to go and get the food that I want and it not be ridiculously expensive oh 100 percent. and sadly I come down to the choice a lot of times of do I want it dairy-free or do I want it gluten-free because that that's where I'm at you know financially speaking because you know there's a couple of great gluten-free dairy-free bakeries around me but that cupcake is eight dollars you know and I'm not blaming them it's just one of those where I'm like, well, if I'm craving a cupcake, yeah. I can't spend $8 on a cupcake. I've got to go to the Target or the Walmart and get the cupcake that's $2 and take a lactose pill and maybe feel crappy for a while. But that's, I guess, the sacrifice I'm choosing to make mm. to eat the cupcake. You know, it's just a whole cycle of things. 
And I'm so sorry to ask this. I have ADHD. I should probably have oh, said don't that apologize. earlier. What was the second thing I said I was going to speak on? Oh, no. Do you remember? I if don't not, have, it's totally I okay. I don't think I have ADHD, but, like, I really – because we went down this whole um, – Food privilege. Hole. Yeah. I, it was the last bit of what you were talking about right before I talked about the food privilege because you had switched to a different section that I was like, oh, I really want to speak on this because I had like, some type of personal experience. But that's totally okay. I'm just chuckling right now because I said it and was like, Hannah, remember. No, it's okay. And I still didn't remember. <laughs> no, it's okay. I would I would love to have you back to record another episode so we can totally. Which is fair. <laughs> yeah. So so we can totally discuss it. And when I could go back when I when we get off the Zoom, <laughs> I can go back and listen to it and then I'll remember it and then I'll I'll email you. Um I have to do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, because I'm just like, what? Oh no, because I got it was, so it was definitely something I was just like super passionate about because with food, money and and that's probably my political science background. Hmm. I'm just disgusted with how our country does a lot of things. And you had mentioned that earlier with like rights, like I'm disgusted with that. It's to the point where I don't even want to live here. I, because I don't feel like it's just humane at this point. So anyways, that's a whole nother topic, but I do know it. I feel like it felt in that kind of realm with the food privilege and things like that, where like, I want to eat a certain way, but I literally can't because it's not available to me. It's, you know, it's an unfortunate part and and that's part of like with the intuitive eating and the privilege that comes with that notion is that it's not accessible for everyone and that's exactly. a problem and it, it's the problem in the fact that it just shouldn't be a problem yeah you know like it just should not even exist with a whole lot of other bogus bullshit yep. things in this world but since we're on the topic kind of thing like that is just you know, and with the eggs, like you were saying, like how you didn't even think about the mm-hmm. price of eggs, you just add it. I'm over here sitting there exactly. and going, why are my eggs five thirty five this week instead of two something or three something? You know, because I know my eggs fluctuate, but it had not like gone that high for a dozen of eggs. And I was just like, mm-hmm. that's going to cost me, you know, that's going to cost me my smoothie that maybe I make or that's going to cost me this, yeah. you know. And it's very frustrating to live in a country and in a society where people are genuinely okay with this. I know. And they may not be okay with it, but they're not saying anything. No, they're just so like, they're complicit oh. in the action. Exactly. And that's just as bad, in my opinion. Uh, agreed. And I'm not saying every everything I disagree with, I'm always not complicit in by like but I try to you know and I feel like you can tell with certain people when they're trying to say something when they're trying to speak up when they're trying to make a change versus people who just live their lives because they're comfortable they're like well it's working for me and that's what privilege is you know it works for me so why would I take it away from me when in reality it's like no we need to look at this as a whole because if you were in their position all it took was a couple different genetics for you to end up in their position and it'd be a completely different story. This is true. And that's probably the most disgusting thing of all when I, uh, you know, when you consider what you're saying. It's just, you know, this is like completely off topic and not related to, I mean, it, it is related, but not necessarily directly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, like I talk about where I live and I scream my privilege from the rooftops. I mean, growing up, like, 
it, w- it was not easy. I have student loans. Like, you know, I struggled many years financially because I was, you know, doing my dietetic internship, which is like, you're literally working 40 plus hours a week for free, but you still have to like pay for stuff. So like I would work weekends and then I was doing my master's mm-hmm. at night. So it was like, you know, there were times where like these things would have been more prevalent, but just because I'm in a position now where it doesn't impact me, doesn't mean it's, it shouldn't be something that I care about. Cause I should care about 100%. it just as like a human being, like that's like your freaking job, just being a good person and like caring about other people, especially for those of us who, you know, may not be in a place of privilege. And so unfortunately people are used to like their status quo. And if it doesn't impact them, they don't care. And it's just because people are selfish. And yep. And we're, and we're taught to be, it's funny, men are taught to be selfish, women are not taught to be selfish, yeah. but in our own facet, we're selfish in the fact that we're perpetuating a system. Actually, there's a podcast, I don't know if you've heard of it, Mary's Cup of Tea. Mm. She's fantastic. She is someone who had um, an eating disorder and she ended up recovering. She It was interesting. She started her social media out as a fitness influencer like Mm -hmm. the whole shebang and then has completely turned it 180 and she has this podcast where she brings people on I wish I could remember this girl's name her name is Blair something and basically they put it in words that I appreciated they were talking about privilege and how she's planning a wedding and she feels privileged enough to plan a wedding so she feels frustrated when things aren't working out but then she feels even more guilt because she's like Mm. well this privilege and Blair said it really well and I'm definitely not going to say it exactly how she said it because I can't remember but it really stuck with me she said you're allowed to want things while still addressing the privilege that comes with it yeah and that kind of shook my world because I was like well you know one day when I have the money when I am rich blah 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 how am I going to use it? How am I going to spend it? Should I still be living in the same type of situation I am now? And Mm -hmm. basically she was just kind of perpetuating the idea of that, like you can still address privilege and still maintain a certain lifestyle. And it's not saying go beat Bill Gates with billions and billions of Mm -hmm. dollars, but she's also saying, don't deny yourself your wants and things that you worked hard for because you're scared you're using your privilege She's like, you just need to also be actively working to dismantle the privilege that maybe you got to get to where you are. Because, for example, my story, I had a very privileged upbringing, Mm. always had a bed, never had, never was hungry, practically got all I want, you know, and the things I didn't get were just extravagance. And the whole gram was, maybe when I was 16, I wasn't thinking that, but like Mm -hmm. in the whole grand scheme of things. That's kind of where it was. And then I took a dip where I was kind of just financially dropped off at 18. Family stuff went down. And then all of a sudden, I was so broke. I like couldn't even conceive for a while the idea of people living the way I did. And then I was, you know, you look at the statistics of, okay, how many people are living under the poverty line in America? And you're just like, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. And so once again, that was another situation where I grew up in the privilege for example, the skinny girl privilege and now being, mm. like I said, very well off. Like I'm not even going to play. Like granted, I, we didn't have the nicest, newest cars, but I always had a car. Mm. You know, I always um, was able to buy the makeup I wanted and I worked, but like, you know, my life didn't depend on the working. Correct. I could have not worked, you know. It was like So it's fun. one of those where like, oh, I wanted to buy 100%. this. 100%. And- it was for rebellion too. Like 
we would have been okay. But I was like, no, my money, my power, I get to use it. You know, and once again, kind of another state of privilege where I'm thinking that way instead of, oh, people have needs, people are dying, you know, and those are extremes, but still like that's something to take into fact. And I think that's part of the difference between like you and me, for example, is I grew up with all this privilege. Granted, I grew up with all this trauma too, Mm -hmm. but then I kind of dropped off and plummeted. And not saying I don't still have that privilege. I'm white. Mm-hmm. I know that. But I don't have the, you know, financial support that I did. And it was just mind blowing, you know, yeah. that people are living this poor. And I think it's something that even when I do make money, I'm not saying I'm going to be perfect, but it'll implement in my money in ways that, for example, I've got family members who have always grown up in so much money. It's disgusting. Who I don't think ever will look at it in that facet. And no matter how much I preach about it they probably won't respect it because I didn't do the same things they did. So they're like, well, why would I respect you? You didn't have money. You know, mm-hmm. it's a whole thing that I don't need to jump into right now, but it was just an interesting kind of yeah. hop off of what you were saying with privilege and the way Mary's cup of tea, her podcast and how they said, as long as you're actively trying to dismantle and you acknowledge the privilege and you're not using the privilege to benefit yourself, you can still have wants, needs yep. and live in a nice place have food eat intuitively like you don't have to starve yourself because other people are starving you know but you should be actively trying to dismantle the starving population so anyways sorry no 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 I talk a lot I'm definitely gonna check out that podcast and I would love to have you back on so we're gonna schedule that guys thank you so much for spending this time with us please follow Hannah on social media I will link all of her social media handles in the uh, show notes And please give her a follow. And Hannah, thank you so much. No, thank you. I love being able to talk about the things I'm passionate about. And you gave me that platform. So thank Thank you. you. Of course. Guys, thank you so much for listening. And I will see you in the next episode.